Okay. Hi, David. Hey, how's it going, Tyler? Going great. How about you? Uh, you know, it's a good week. Uh, beautiful weather. Uh, fields look great. So it's a good time to be here. Great, great. Well, this is the Grassroots Living Soil Podcast. And, uh, oh man, this is episode number 16, I believe. And today we've got Mr. David Olson. Um, David Olson is showing up on the podcast for the third time, I believe. I think so. Three. Yep. We yep. did the first one, and we did one with uh, Jenny Garley of New Age Laboratories about SAP testing. That was good. Uh, one. Yep. Digging into some data there. We've had a lot of fun and great comments about that one. And um, today we're coming on to talk about um, the Super Mycorrhiza product, the Micro Builder and um, how we can really benefit the grower um, from seed germination um, all the way through planting and obviously you know uh, weekly root drenching and foliar spraying um, there's a whole pathway here that just starts with seed germination um, and that's kind of like our big push this year is um, showing farms how we can really benefit and push them forward with these products from the beginning process and you know inoculating um, a seed from its beginning moments of when it first cracks out of that shell and that tail pops out and it lands into beneficial microbes. I think that is like as a living soil grower is probably one of the sexiest things I've heard in a long time with how to how to treat your plants and all that kind of good stuff. So I think that's kind of where we're going to start out today is uh, with seed germinating and uh, obviously taking clones and cuttings and all that good stuff. So uh, this is David Olson, Sustainable Growth Solutions. He obviously produces our products here. Uh, the Grassroots Living Soil, Bring Soil to Life, uh, Microbe and Plant Food Program. We've got our old banners and our old stuff. Um, and now we've got our new stuff here and our new, our new packaging, which is really cool. Um, some great stuff there. So David, before we start out and really tear into the science, um, I think it's really important for people to know a little bit of your background briefly. I know we've talked about it on the other podcasts, but there's people that are going to listen to this podcast and, and then go back to number one and then start and come back forward. So yeah. you can take a second and just tell us uh, where you started, what you're going on with. And now you've, you hold patents. You've done some really cool, cool stuff. I almost cussed there, so just child-friendly. But yeah, go ahead and, and tear it up here. Uh, well, let's see. So I'm a sixth-generation uh, farmer here in California. So our roots uh, run pretty deep. Our family farm uh, started in 1850, and I grew up on the farm. So just did every every job there was to do on the farm, all, all the good ones and the not-so-good ones. But, you you know, you, every step along the way, you learn stuff. And... Um, uh, as, as I was growing up, my dad was actually starting to work with some of the first organic inputs, um, you know, so humic acid and some other things like that, that, you know, we're just kind of coming out. This is 45 years ago or so. Okay. So I started doing field trials with that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was doing all the quantitative metrics out in the field and the applications and stuff. So really started to learn all that stuff, you know, piece by piece. And uh, my dad started working with his first uh, biological product over 35 years ago. So it was actually something that was a spin-off from NASA uh, and some biology from, from that uh, that we started using. And about 10 years after that, my dad developed his first uh, biological product, so, uh, which is very, very similar to um, the mycorrhizae, uh, the superfood. Mm. 
Uh, so it, its roots go back that far. Uh, and we worked with that for quite some time and learned a lot from it that, so there, there can be complements of different species of microbes and they, they really function well together. But you have to think of, of the microbiology in the soil as a much broader community than that. So that's actually what uh, led us to the microbuilder product, which is very, very broad spectrum. And so we found out that those two things work much, much, much better uh, together. So that's uh, kind of my early history. Uh, now my company is Sustainable Growing Solutions. We manufacture biological and organic fertilizer products for commercial agriculture and uh, was always just looking for the right partner to introduce these, these products uh, to the cannabis and, and home, home gardening uh, market segment. And I uh, think that Grassroots is a perfect partner for that. So uh, between what your core business is and, and how our products complement that, you know, I think we can make it much easier for growers to be, you know, home growers to be successful, you know, from, from the very beginning all the way through the end. Perfect, perfect. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about other things you do besides sustainable growing solutions? I know you're a very busy man. You've got your hands in some other cool fields, too. Can you briefly tell us what else you do? Oh, um, well, I don't talk about it very much, but I do a lot of uh, water resources consulting. So uh, mass balance hydrology across uh, the water districts in, in California. So I've done a lot of uh, consulting for that over, over the years. Um, and then we have the family farm, uh, so I'm, I'm engaged in that uh, at a board level. And so those are really the two principal things that, that I'm working on. Great, great. And I, th I think it's important for, for people to know how busy you are and how <laughs> involved in different things you are, because it's very interesting to me, you know, in producing products for plants and soil, and also being very involved in the waterways and the fisheries and, and, you know, the end results of what we're going to deal with, you know, over 50 to 100 years from now, it has to be quantified. So I think that's uh, very important information and stuff that I'm very interested in whenever you're talking about that kind of stuff. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, it does have an odd little nexus, you know, of, of really the, the common thread throughout all of it is the sustainability of it. So on the water resources side, what we're trying to do is manage that in a way that it's you know, use responsibly and, and sustainably. And that's what we're all about with building living soils is making a sustainable, you know, balanced ecology, which we can grow healthy plants in. Beautiful, beautiful. That's some awesome stuff. Well, micro builder, I don't want to cover up too much stuff to be able to have you guys see this on the camera here. But um, let's talk about the basic thing. Um, you know, we've got our microbuilder inoculant, which is a liquid uh, compost tea inoculant that is um, shelf-stable and not active in the bottle. And when we want to activate it and use it, we use it with the superfood veg or bloom. Obviously, it's, you've got your microfoods to wake things up and feed the plant. And then we also have uh, the very key product here in this program, which is the uh, super mycorrhiza product. This is actually half mycorrhiza and half superfood veg. So you're getting two products in one here. And I was using this for a long time and didn't really notice that and understand that. And really um, using these products now for a long time, I think it's just so valuable to have uh, food for your microbes as they land into a soil space or they go into a liquid form or anything like that. We've got, we've got the microbes, we've got food, we've got water. We just need to get their butts into a habitat and let them do their thing. Um, that's kind of what I'm going at. So as a quick introduction here, that's kind of what we have with our program. 
and um, we've recently gone out to uh, One Straw Farm in Calaveras County, I'm wearing their shirt right now, um, or Burr's Place, uh, One Straw Farms on Instagram, or Burr's Place, and they've got a two-acre farm um, up in Calaveras County, and we did a root dip uh, with the Super Mycorrhiza product and the Micro Builder, um, and uh, now it's about day five or day six, so we should get a good report here from them pretty soon. Um, I talked to uh, the owner, Brett, on Friday, and he said, everything's going great. I'm really happy. And I said, you know what? That's awesome. Have a great holiday weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. So, excuse me, Tuesday. So we're going to get back with him and really get some reports on how things are going. We transplanted 900 plants, and 450 of them were done with this product. And we personally transplanted them and dipped them and, and did everything, even carried them into the greenhouse. So nice. we kind of feel like they're daddies now, and, you know, we got to go back and check on them and... Um, possibly in two weeks, we're going to go back and actually plant them into the soil because they're an in-ground farm. They grow in-ground and in pots. They're just utilizing their soil wherever they can. Um, so can you talk to us? Um, I think a lot of people are, are kind of scared about uh, germinating a seed with nutrients and with microbes. And since I've done it, I don't think there's any other way that I'll do it now because of how strong and healthy and, and vigorous you see those seeds. So um, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, starting out, you know, microbes and germination or germination and cloning. What's what's going on behind that? Sure. Well, I, you know, it's nice to be back, uh, I think, for the, the third time because the first couple of times, you know, we talked about just kind of some very broad concepts and, you know, the, the entire growing cycle. So this, this allows us to come back and talk about it from the very beginning. And that's actually the right place to start. I mean, you, you can start applying these products beneficially any any part of the growing cycle and even in, in the off season when you just got either uh, cover crop or, or bare ground but in terms of having the most beneficial effect on your crop the time to start is at the very beginning now i i like to actually pre-prime the soil a couple weeks before planting so you can take the micro builder and some superfood put that on a couple weeks ahead of time. So what you've got is a very active, healthy, balanced biology in the soil that when you are gonna either plant into, you know, plant seeds into it or transplant into it, that you've got this welcoming beneficial biology uh, already established in, in momentum in the soil. But when it comes to actually the, the seed germination itself, you know, here's, here's the very first thing that's happening with the plant. And Here's our, our first opportunities to really give it some advantages. So let's, let's talk about all the things that happen to a seed once it starts the germination process. So you, you wet the seed. Now the, the water is going to make its way through the seed coat. And so it's this softening and, and uh, hydrating of the endosperm and things like that that really start you know, the chemical and bio, biological processes in the seed. When you have biology like the microbuilder uh, with that, in, within the moisture you're introducing to the plant, the first thing that happens when that seed coat's uh, softened is the seed actually puts off some exudates that says, hey, come colonize me. Mm -hmm. Because they know, you know, they evolved, you know, uh, together, the, the biology and the, or the, the microbes and, and the plants. So they're looking to be colonized. And so the first thing they do is put out an exudate that says, hey, come, come colonize me. 
So I never thought about that, of actually germinating my seed with the biology in the liquid. You've told me that, and now that I think about it, you've probably told me that a few times. And I'm sorry, people, there's stuff that he tells me when we have meetings that I just keep in my brain and try to share, and it doesn't all come out. So, <laughs> Well, sometimes it's a little bit like spoon-feeding with a shovel. So there's a, sometimes a little bit of information overload, but it's always great to share. And, and you know, it's learning is this sequential process and it's you know kind of building foundation after foundation and, and uh, some of the some concepts just don't make any sense until you've got some of the earlier you know underpinnings of it established or you know just locked into your head it's like oh well that makes sense you know but you can't just absorb all of it all at once just we don't learn, learn that way so uh, the biology actually does a ton of different things for the germination process so microbes put off a lot of different plant growth regulators and there's a ton of those transactions that are going on in a germinating seed. So the first thing uh, that happens is uh, microbes can put out some uh, enzymes. So one of them is, well, soften the seed coat. So it makes it easier for it to split the coat. Uh, it helps with the hydration of the seed. Uh, there's another one that's amylase, uh, which turns starches into sugars. So uh, the endosperm is in the seed is uh, starch, and so it's converting the starches into sugars, which is basically the, the, the energy and the power for the seed. So mm. if you get that conversion going efficiently with the assist, assistance of the biology, that means you have a more vigorous, stronger germination. So that's one of the reasons why we see a higher germination percent out of seeds when we've, we've used the biology in this strategy. Next thing that starts to happen is cell initiation. So uh, jasmonic acid is another one of the hormones that the uh, microbes put off, and that uh, contributes to the cell initiation. Then there's uh, cell division, uh, which is when the cells are now multiplying. Uh, and that's uh, endolacetic acid, which is another plant growth regulator that the microbes uh, provide to the, to the seed. Uh, the next thing that happens is cell elongation. So that's really critical for when you've got the uh, cotyledon, you know, and it's just make, the stem is just making its push through the crust in the soil. So that the power of, of the seedling coming up through the soil is actually driven a lot by that cell elongation. Mm. So if you have cell elongation uh, happening efficiently because of the plant growth regulators so that the microbes are contributing to the seed, you have a stronger emergence and, and it happens faster. So usually you can see, uh, if you're comparing say treated and untreated uh, seeds uh, or just even just a field planting, you know, I see this in, in all the, the seeded crops that, that we work in commercially. Uh, you know, here we'll be up and we'll have a, we will have a two inch stand of, you know, the, the plants already up and going and the, the control is just starting to break, break the surface. Of the soil. <laughs> so it's really, it's an exciting thing for the grower to see because it's so incredibly visual. It's like, holy cow, this, this really happened fast. And then we do stand counts and it's like, oh, well, we got, you know, X percent additional uh, germination to stand establishment. Um, I'll circle, circle back to some of the other uh, germination processes in the second or, or the root development process. But uh, in most crops, the actual yield, the potential yield is established very, very early on in, in the growth stages of a plant. Uh, so 
something, corn is something that's really well understood and has been well studied. Uh, so something like corn, uh, within 14 days of emergence, that plant has already decided how many ears of corn it's going to have. Wow. So, you know, you've got this plant that's two or three inches tall. It's like, yep, it's already decided. So if, you know, if things aren't going well for the plant at that point, you know, it's a huge inflection point on what the, the, the potential yield yeah. is. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how well you treat that plant from that point on. You've already, you've already screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah. It's already been so, messed up. Yeah, so that aspect of the yield is already locked in. Now, about uh, 30 days after that, it's deciding how many rows of corn are going to be on that ear. And then about five or ten days after that is how many columns of, of seeds within each row. And then, so here you are 45 days or less than half of the growing time for that crop. And it's absolutely locked in for what its yield is. Wow. So, you know, we, we always, the way I've always tried to frame it, or, or in this, you know, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, is, you know, you have a, a, a potential yield that's locked into that seed. And our job as as the farmer is to screw that up as little as possible. So you really, really need to have a, a lot of focus on making sure that that start is a really good one. And so this, that's why the inoculation at, at that seed stage is so important. So I talked about the aerial part of the plant and all the bio, all that the biology does to stimulate the germination and uh, the emergence and stand establishment. Uh, there's also, of course, the roots. Uh, the roots uh, are, you know, the foundation of everything. And we kind of have a motto of grow, grow roots first because if you have a good, healthy uh, set of roots, which is supported by healthy soil and biology, uh, you're going to have a healthy plant. And yeah. once, once you have a healthy plant, that's when you have that yield potential. And, and frankly, that's when most of the production problems go away. Yeah. So, uh, some of the other things that the biology does in that germination and standard establishment process is they also put out uh, auxins and cytokinins. So, those are two other groups of uh, plant growth regulators that the microbes produce for the plant. And those have a direct effect on the growth of the roots. And that's kind of what the things that people, when they talk about that the microbes are trading the plant or exchanging things and having this this relationship is obviously the microbes are getting something and the plants getting something and every everything's going both ways. It's a two way street with these two with these two combining each other. Yeah, it's a it's a actually intricate and elegant relationship between the two. So the micro the plant is producing excess photosynthesis. So we're actually even at that at that uh, germination process where I said it puts out an exudate that invites the microbes to come colonize it, is like, well, that's that's food, and that's also signalers. is like, hey, these are the things that I need from you right now. And so it's going to be, you know, those signals are going to be related to those beneficial uh, plant growth regulators that I, I listed off, but it also has to do with a lot of the, the early plant nutrition as a signal and what nutrients it needs at that those growth stages, because that's part of the exchange that the microbes in the plant do the entire growth cycle uh, or crop cycle is the plant will put out excess photosynthates uh, and exudate them through the roots uh, in the form of sugars, but also embedded in those sugars are, are signalers to the microbe community is like, here's the nutrient that I need, or perhaps a plant growth regulator or, or whatever the microbes are, are contributing. So with the auxins and cytokinins, we are developing a 
much larger uh, root system. And the larger the root system is, the more efficiently we can use water, intercept nutrients, uh, you know, resistance to drought and heat and uh, all sorts of other things. Now, that's how the, the hormones affect the plant growth. But uh, when we talk about the superfood mycorrhizae, uh, mycorrhizae actually, the, these particular genus of uh, mycorrhizae, will colonize inside the root. So, so think of the, the base of the, the mycorrhizae as a fungus. So the base of it is actually inside the, the vascular tissue of, of the root. So that's, that's called a, uh, endomycorrhizae. So endo meaning that it's inside. inside okay. yeah. uh, there's other species of mycorrhizae that are outside, and those are ecto. Ecto, okay. Yeah. And you, I'd imagine you want a little bit of both, right? I mean, um, or how does that work? It, yeah, it depends on the association of the plant. So mm. uh, most of our commercial crops, most of everything that we grow uh, has a relationship with endomycorrhizae. Okay. Uh, more, you see more uh, beneficial relationships of ecto with more uh, like wild uh, forest type species and things like that. Um, there's there's some new information that uh, maybe there's more activity with uh, ecto uh, with certain species than than we thought before because of uh, you know the popular wisdom or, or conclusions or scientific information was oh it's only endo uh, mycorrhizae that associate with these types of plants. It's like well. There's more. There's newer information that says maybe there there's a broader spectrum of species uh, or ecto and endo uh, that associate with these plants. Hmm. So uh, anyway, so the the cool thing about the the mycorrhizae, what its function is, is so here it is kind of rooted in in inside the root itself. Now you get a hyphae that grows out of that, and it acts like a little root hair. Uh, so it's mining the water and nutrients out of the soil for you. But it's 200 times smaller than a root hair. So that means it can get into interstitial spaces between the soil particles and mine water and nutrients that the plant otherwise couldn't reach. Mm. So if you think about the volume of soil that a plant can mine with just its own root system, I've heard things as low as, say, 5 to 10%. If you have a well-colonized set of roots using the mycorrhizae, you can increase that to 40 to 50%. Mm-hmm. So now, all of a sudden, you're the getting... The kitchen just got a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, it sure did. Yeah, and the reservoir got, reservoir got a lot bigger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that is... The... Yeah, and I've heard that before, too, about how the association of those two can make a root system much, much more efficient. Um, but it's great to hear the exact science of how that happens and the, the exact data of that. Yeah, and mycorrhizae are also really good at collecting a couple different nutrients for the plant. So it's, it's great at collecting nitrogen and even more so phosphorus. So those are two you know, principal nutrients we need to get into the plant. And here we have, you know, a symbiotic relationship of a fungi growing with, with the plant. That's... No, no problem, Star Wars going off. Yeah, my little uh, communicator <laughs> was going off. My apologies, should have muted that before we started. Anyway, the um, uh, mycorrhizae uh, actively deliver uh, nitrogen and phosphorus mm-hmm. to the plant. So that's a huge, huge advantage. And that's that's one of the reasons why when we look at our integrated biology programs uh, for crops, how we end up cutting back the nutrients so much. 
is that we're just so much more efficient at intercepting uh, the nutrients that are applied, but also effectively mining what's inherently the nutrition that's available in the soil. Mm. Mm. So we've gone through um, germinating and inoculating your, uh, uh, wetting your seeds with the microbuilder and M food or super mycorrhiza products. So when that seed, it just starts attacking the, the shell and goes through there, not attacking it, but um, uh, uh, just efficiently starting to, to introduce those with each other. And that's, I think something that we don't think about with the growers introducing those kind of things until later on in the, the growth process. Um, so uh, I think that's, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of people aren't doing that. I think they're waiting until later on in uh, the growth cycle, you know, cloning where we're adding, you know, some sort of a powder into um, the the hole where you're transplanting into, and and that's what the the farm that we went to uh, was doing is they were just adding a you know a granular mycorrhiza product into the soil, um, and then in a certain sense you'd have to wait for the roots to come out and attack that to associate with it. So that was the big difference for us is why we were doing the root dip is it's an immediate association. Um, so now we've gone from seed and seed germination and we've introduced the microbes to the seed from the very beginning and then now uh, that seed soaked in the water for 24, 48 hours and it's got a little tail that's popping out and it's already been introduced to that and then we could take that seed and put it into a soil mass that's already been pre-primed uh, with, with um, beneficials which is very important and also the superfood. So you have food in that mass for the microbes to populate, which I think is important too, is you want microbes to populate a soil mass, they need food to go populate it out with. You know, if there's not food in the kitchen, they're not gonna populate it with. Um, so are we missing anything else when we go from seed to popping it in the soil, or now I guess we can talk about um, cloning with, with these products. Um, to me, in a great mind that I would be doing that I've done before is I've taken cuttings off of a plant and then I've stuck them into water. Well, that water has had the microbuilder and M food into it, very small amounts of it. I'd probably say like a three to 5% dilution ratio, and it's maybe, a, you know, 500 milliliters of water. So it's a very small amount. So I'm taking that cutting and then boom, I'm hoping that that cutting is just gonna absorb some microbes into its mass and start things off and keep it healthy. And that's probably good usage, right? Yeah, yeah. the rate that you described sounds perfect because uh, all you're trying to do is make sure, one, that you don't have a sterile environment because that's actually when, when bad things can happen where you have uh, pathogens that have basically an uncontested opportunity to, to colonize with a plant. And so that's the kind of thing where, say, fusarium might become, uh, you know, you're creating a vulnerability you don't need to. Oh, when you think you're killing fusarium, you think you're wiping that out, you're actually getting rid of the good guys too then, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so by having that small concentration that you just described means that we have, you know, beneficial biology that colonizes from, from the get-go. Uh, they will get inside the vascular tissues of the plant, and that's a good thing because that's, they uh, will help support the immune system of the plant. Uh, also, uh, the things that I, I was just describing, that the microbes produce some uh, plant growth regulators, so auxins and cytokinins. So auxin is something you use actually initiate the growth of the roots themselves. So to that end, those microbes contribute to that, uh, the cell differentiation and growth of roots off of that clone. 
Yeah, yeah. And then I guess the next thing before we do, we'll do some cloning because we took in our clones, we put them into water that has the microbes and the superfood um, or the super mycorrhiza that has that. And the next thing would be is we're going to take our rooting media, whether that be soil or, you know, rock wool or rapid rooter or all kinds of interesting things out there on the market nowadays. I would soak that in the microbes. Um, you know, a lot of people will saturate those things with nutrients, but um, I think that would be the next step is taking your rooting media and inoculating it. So then when you're taking your clone, you're sticking it right into a media that's already been populated with beneficial microbes, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, why would you want to start out something that is completely sterile that doesn't actually give any beneficial functions to the plant? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to create a a balanced environment for this to go into. So sometimes sterile is not always the best thing. I think that's a, a huge point to take in this 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 podcast that I made. I think there's a massive amount of people out there just trying to sterilize and clean things and wipe things out. But it's like how much of a... I just had a little mind blow right there. I'm just like, wow, how much are people hurting themselves when you think you're just being the, the cleanest person on the block? You know? Yeah, well, there certainly is a place for all the sanitation practices, and, and that's just, that's wise. But when you're thinking of trying to promote life, uh, life doesn't do great in a biological vacuum. And, yeah. and so what we're doing is we're just populating it with the good guys and make sure that all those beneficial things that the microbes can do for the plant, if they're not there, then those are, that's kind of a lost opportunity. So one thing I should mention about the, the mycorrhizae, because this applies to both of these, uh, is that mycorrhizae, uh, they can sense the exudates from the root of the plant up to uh, 10, 10 centimeters away. So if you're... It's like a bear in the woods smelling blood or something like that, <laughs> all right? Or like a shark right. in the water. Yeah, it's a symbiosis. So, it, you know, it has to have the plant to colonize, to, to grow. And the plant is putting in an exudate that's uh, attracting the mycorrhizae to it to colonize. So uh, when you when you're talking about how you want to say pre-prep your beds, if you want to put uh, the superfood mycorrhizae in there, you want to concentrate it in the areas where you know it's going to be within 10 centimeters of where the plant's going to be. Because uh, if you're putting it a lot farther away from that, it may eventually colonize as the plant starts to to use a greater volume in the bed. But that may not happen until you know, quite a bit later. So if, if you want the best bang for your buck is, you know, you, you pre-mix your soil and you might focus your uh, applications of the mycorrhizae-related products closer to where that, that plant's going to land. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing about the mycorrhizae is, one, it, it does a terrible job of colonizing in uh, sterile environments. Hmm. It needs actually the, the synergisms with the other, other microbes. So that's why we always apply the superfood mycorrhizae with the microbe builder, because it brings the rest of the biology to support that process and it colonizes much, much more efficiently. Then also another factor just to keep in mind is the, the phosphorus status of, of the soil on the plant. So the big, one of the big benefits of, for the plant allowing the mycorrhizae to colonize it is this offer that the, the mycorrhizae can collect phosphorus for it. If the plant is actually in an overabundant situation of, of more phosphorus than it needs, it doesn't really have a lot of motivation to allow the mycorrhizae to, to colonize. It's like, hey, I'm fat, dumb, and happy. I got plenty of phosphorus. It's like, I don't really need you. 
So, you know, don't, if, if you're going to get your mycorrhizae established, make sure that you're not in, you know, you haven't just bombed it with phosphorus before. What a great reason to do a soil test or a saturated paste test and look at things on a scientific level would help out there, I'm guessing. A good, a good start, yeah. yeah. Or just not using, uh, you know, pre-plant uh, fertilizer that's just really, really high in phosphorus. Yeah, okay. Great, keep it simple. So um, we've uh, inoculated our seeds, we've inoculated our clones, or now we've gotten to the point where you've received cuttings or plants from somewhere, whether it be tomato plants from the grocery store that I got at Grocery Outlet because they were on sale for 99 cents and I threw them in the cart, or you know, you've got however source that you've gotten these things because every year we go and find different ways, and now we can take that, that uh, that mass of plants, we can mix up some of these products in a five gallon bucket and we could dip the root system uh, into that. And I actually like to try to uh, time this just right when that root system's a little dry. Mm -hmm. And then it just acts like a sponge. And then in my mind, you know, we're taking these, these products and we're putting them into water and we're liquefying them um, and we're getting them into the soil mass as quick as possible because in my mind, you know, they're, once the microbes are activated, they're sticky, they've got these glues and they want to just stick to the closest thing they have and just start creating a home. So in my mind, it's like, you know, once we liquefy these products and we get the root ball to absorb them like a sponge, you're guaranteeing the inoculation of that root system right then and there. And you're, you're hydrating the plant. Um, and it's going to have all these available metabolites. It's going to have all these available amino acids to it. Just all this plant available, all these reasons to not wither and die, in a certain sense, or all of these all of these reasons to be happy and healthy. Um, and and I think that's really what farmers need right now is how can we make the products we have to buy every year more efficiently use for us or use less of them. Um, you know, we sell products to farmers, but we want to be helpful to farmers and we want to show them new time and cost saving ways that maybe they haven't thought of. Um, and that's, I think like the big nugget of information here is we're doing this because we want to genuinely give people healthier plants and save them money because the more successful the farmer is, the more successful we are. And, and that's, that's just what it comes down to. And, did I miss anything there when we were talking about, is it so important that I just feel like it, it's just such an easy thing to do to, to put these products into liquid and, and dunk your root system in there and I'll even dip the whole, whole plant foliage itself in there and then set the plant in a shaded area for several hours until it completely dries so it doesn't burn the leaves or anything. Um, but what's this, what scientifically is, is, is happening there? Obviously, we're charging the root system and not setting it in the soil, waiting for the roots to get there. We're making that happen right now. Yeah, I think you hit on all, all exactly the, the right points. So it's an extremely efficient inoculation opportunity. You know, so uh, mycorrhizae actually, because of how they're prop propagated, are actually quite large. Uh, and so you have to be more thoughtful about how you want to successfully inter introduce that. You can either mix it in the soil or, or a dunk uh, drench like what we're talking about. Uh, those are extremely high efficiency because you're getting the material right where you want it. 
and, and frankly, after you dip a tray, I mean, you really don't end up using a, a huge amount of product. Very little. Yeah. I mean, we dip nine trays in five gallons of water, and then we use the water to uh, put a pour water over all the plants to kind of settle the soil after we transplant them into a one-gallon plastic pot. And we, I mean, we still had all kinds of product left over. It was amazing. So it's efficiency, and it's, it's efficient use of the products. Yep, and the uh, the other thing to remember as you're doing that is, just every you know a few minutes, just give that whatever you're dunking into a good stir because you want to keep the mycorrhizae suspended and, and some of the other things. Yeah, they want to settle. Yeah, that, those they're are heavy. particular heavy and, and they'll settle. So you want a good inoculation like that. But you know, back to what you're saying is like you know here the very low cost um, in terms of the materials that you're using. Frankly, it fits right into kind of the labor process of, of doing this transplanting, so it's not really a, a significant incre increment of, of labor. Uh, and, and it's one of the best bang for the buck opportunities you've, you've got to, to get these microbes working for you. And once the microbes are working for you, you're going to have, as you said, a, a healthier plant. And frankly, it's a lot of fun to grow a healthy crop because it looks beautiful and it's really rewarding and you're not struggling. Um, uh, a couple other things I should say about the, the transplant process. So, uh, obviously, we're disturbing the roots a little bit. Uh, you know, there's just no way around it. It depends on, you know, the, the type of plug you have or the grow media uh, or, you know, how much you have to physically handle it or, you know. Or exposing it to open air and just, you know, those roots, they like the nice, dark, quiet little area to grow. And we're, you know, bringing it out into the sunlight for a second transplanting it. Yeah, so we're, but we're protecting that because no matter how you do it, there's going to be some mechanical damage that happens to, to the roots. And in some cases, if, say, you have something that's root-bound, you really need to pry those roots apart, so you're really actively disrupting the, the root ball. Uh, by having this inoculation, you've got all the beneficial microbes that are there to protect those open wounds uh, and also... Um, address the stress that happens to a plant after uh, transplanting. So most of the time when you tr transplant something, even if you're doing a really good, just, you know, thoughtful job of it and being careful about, you know, your bed prep and everything else, uh, most of the time when you transplant something, you're going to see a plant, you know, have, have a little stress or a little transplant shock. And so you tend to see a little drooping or wilting and the plant just doesn't grow for a few days. Uh, if, if things are good, then, then the plant kind of perks up and, and takes hold and takes off. Uh, when you start using the biology in this process, you find that there's a significant reduction in that stress event. So again, the, that's back to this concept of we started out with a certain genetic potential and our job is to screw that up as little as possible. So by avoiding this stress event that typically happens with transplanting, we really have avoided that loss that occurs uh, that sets the plant back. And so part of what's happening there is when a plant goes under stress, it starts to create its own stressor hormones. So several things start to happen, uh, especially in the case of transplanting, when the, when the, the plant's stressed, it will put off uh, ethylene. So ethylene is a plant growth regulator that a plant can produce. It's actually usually its, its purpose or typical function is uh, maturation of a crop. So it's, it's related to senescence and completion of the life cycle. Uh, when a, a roots are stressed, they will accumulate ethylene in, in the root tip. 
well, that's where the roots grow, and that's where they take up most of the, nu the nutrients in the water. So if they've accumulated this ethylene in the tip of the root, that's why the plant just sits there for a couple of days. It's like it's looking sad and droopy, and it's not going anywhere. Because the roots can't absorb anything like they want to. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's just kind of locked up. Well, the microbes uh, put out a compound called ACC deaminates. And that actually is a volatile organic compound that the microbes produce. So it's related to, you know, when you open up a soil and it has a good earth, richies, mm. rich earthy smell, that, those are volatile organic compounds from the microbes. So if you open up a soil and you don't smell anything at all, it's like, hmm, not much biological activity going on here. Uh, but uh, in this case, the ACC, uh, ACC deaminase, uh, which is one of those, there's many, many, many different volatile organic compounds that they produce, but in this case, this one breaks up ethylene. Mm -hmm. And so that, that stressor hormone that would kind of freeze that plant for a few days gets broken up and allows that plant to start actively growing and, and collecting moisture and nutrients. And preventing that traffic jam of nutrients from happening. Yeah, and so that's, that's the mechanism of how we see uh, plant stress reduction during transplant because of the biology. Wow, wow, okay. So the ethylene that's produced in the end of the two root tips. Yep. Okay, wow, that's powerful. Yeah, it's neat, I and mean, it's, it's fun. You know, we could see that for many years. You know, we could see, oh, you know, the transplants go much better if we do this. It's, it's nice when kind of knowledge comes full circle. It's like, oh, well, now we can actually explain how it works. Uh, wow. Wow, that is awesome. And um, so I guess the next point is um, we've dipped our, our transplants, um, and we're in a soil mass, and we've got plants that are ready to go into their final home, and that would be a great point to obviously uh, dunk the plant itself um, if you can dunk the whole plant and then shade it afterwards, that would be great. But at least just dunking the root system and then transplanting it into another soil mass so it has just the ability of charging into that root system. Um, I think the next most important thing would be doing a foliar spray a couple days later of some microbes. So, you know, as that new plant foliage grows and produces, it's got beneficial microbes supporting it. Yeah, let, let's take a step back. Of some I feel of, like I was advancing a little too fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree. Uh, there was just one other, you know, there's a lot of subtleties in, in this process. Uh, so I would definitely do what you recommended of, you know, dipping the pot or even the whole plant. Um, that's very beneficial. But I would also pay a lot of attention to the receiving soil. So making sure you don't want to ever transplant into dry soil because it, it tends to have dry pockets. So you don't get the water lateralized, and, and so you'll have, it'll look like you've wetted the whole soil, but if you dig down, you'll find that there's these big dry pockets. It's like, well, that's soil that effectively the plant's not going to get to. Yeah, it's hydrophobic in that little area. Yeah, so pre-wetting your soil that you're transplanting into is super important, and as you're doing it, inoculating it or reinforcing the biology with the uh, microbuilder and or the super uh, food mycorrhizae, so we know that we've got good active beneficial biology functioning for it and and we've got good moist soil uh for the plant to grow right into yeah oh yeah definitely you got wet feet and that's like uh i don't know it's just so you can feel the moisture in your hands when you're working with the soil and it's it's properly moisturized it just seems like you're you're doing the right thing so yeah 
And then uh, what you said about the foliar is a great, great follow-up. So there's, there's a couple things. So one, you're, you're colonizing the canopy of the plant with the beneficial microbes. But also, because we've built up this, in the microbe builder, built up this huge, huge population of, of microbes, as we're growing that population, they're consuming the food, they're producing all sorts of metabolites. So you mentioned amino acids uh, as an example. Uh, so the microbes have produced all these things and they are directly absorbable by the plant through the tissue when you've done a foliar. So again, you'll see kind of a bright pop out of the plant and, uh, because it's got all this beneficial nutrients that it's just absorbed directly. And it's very efficient for it to absorb it too. And we're saving efficiencies of the plant, correct? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's efficient because it's already in a plant available form and it's going you know, directly to the tissues and if you think of the amount of uh, material and the, the amount of surface area of, say, the aerial part of the plant versus the roots, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, very small amount of area, uh, area that you're actually working with in the canopy compared to the roots. And so, uh, you know, you, you can use a very small amount of material and cover a lot of plants. Yeah, a lot of plants, definitely. Okay, so um, we've talked about pre-priming the soil, getting your soil set, um, you know, transplanting your plants and dipping them ahead of time. Um, what, what would be the next thing? Where are we going from there? Well, now we've got a good foundation, right? So we've got a good living active soil. Uh, we've, we've promoted the root system of the plant. Uh, we've got uh, the microbes help the photosynthetic efficiency of the plant and in return that means the plant has more uh, photosynthates that it can share with the microbes as exudates through the roots. So what we're looking for, what we've established by this point doing all these things is this kind of positive self-reinforcing loop of the microbes are making the plant healthier, the healthier plant has higher photosynthesis. Higher photosynthesis means that the plant has more exudates to share with the microbes. So it's just this beneficial feedback loop. And so you get this just really strong, vigorous, kind of resilient plant that's pretty resistant to all sorts of you know, pests and disease problems. Yeah, because it's not putting out... Uh, you explained to me one time about how the bugs that eat your plant, that's, they're going, they can... Is it the sound waves that they hear, the bugs, that the plant's putting out a certain sound and they're attracted to it? Is that how it is? Yeah, there's some interesting theories regarding that, but yeah. I think mostly what you and I have talked about uh, prior is the different forms of, of nitrogen that are in the plant. Mm. So you can have nitrogen uh, in the form of uh, nitrate, uh, urea, ammonium, or amino acids. So nitrate form of uh, nitrogen, actually the plant has to transform so it has to invest nutrient, or it has to invest energy in, in making these transformations to, to build uh, peptides, polypeptides, proteins, things like that. Uh, with the, what the, uh, so if you're using like a regular synthetic fertilizer, most of the time it's going to be in a, a nitrate form. So that's one of the reasons why that fertilizer is less efficient is because the plant has to invest this energy into it. Oh, actually, it also takes like two molecules of water to transform uh, the nitrate into any, any foreign form of amine or amino acid. So it's also more water efficient to just go directly to an amino acid form, which is what the microbes are delivering to the plant instead. 
So instead of a commercial fertilizer that's nitrate, that's more energy uh, inefficient and more water inefficient, we use the biology in the soil to fix nitrogen out of the air and also collect nitrogen uh, through the soil and deliver it to the plant. The form that they deliver it in is amino acid, so it's much more energy efficient for the plant. The other thing about nitrate is there's certain types of biting and sucking insects that like nitrate. So if you have are basically over nitrified your plant, you're kind of ringing the dinner bell for some of those pests. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Yeah. And then the other form of nitrogen is uh, ammonium, uh, so NH4, and it's it's something that is actually mostly formed when a plant's under stress. So I was going to say, it sounds horrible. It doesn't <laughs> sound good. <laughs> it is a form that the plant can use, but if a plant actually, you see a plant go, you know, say, into day wilt. Uh, so that's when it's, it's hot and it's in the late afternoon, yeah, the leaves are cupped and you know, it just doesn't look perky at all. So what's happening is the plants close the stomata because it's trying to conserve water. It can't get water fast enough where water's not available. That's why you get day wilt. Um, but once it closes the stomata, when it continues to do some photosynthesis, it's actually starting to build uh, ammonium in the interstitial, you know, in the chlora, uh, in the spaces between the chloroplasts and in, in the leaf. And so there's other insects like mites and thrips that are attracted to uh, stress plants because stress plants create ammonium. Hmm. So there's a vicious cycle there. Yeah, but if you have, again, the biology supporting the plant, first it's delivering the amino acid form, not, not one that readily translates uh, as easily to ammonium, uh, and it's also breaking up the other stressors that, that occur within the plant, so it doesn't allow it to get into that condition. So if you see our plants that have been fully inoculated, we have a healthy, balanced living soil, uh, in that afternoon condition compared to, say, a control, our plants will be all perky and they're fully transpiring and, you know, they're just holding themselves still for maximum sunlight inter interception. Uh, and you see the untreated and it's got these droopy, you know, leaves. It's like, okay, well, that one is building ammonium. Ours is not. And when you get to that afternoon day wilt, those are also lost photosynthetic hours. Yeah. Because the plant's basically just holding its breath. Nothing, nothing good is happening here. You're actually going backwards because of some of the things happening. So by having this biology supporting it and not having that day will, um, we're not only sidestepping a couple different problems, but we're capturing that photosynthetic opportunity that otherwise we lose. That's potential, potential yield right there. Yeah. With regards to the uh, harmonic frequencies, probably something for another day. Yeah, it sounds like a bigger conversation. Yeah, <laughs> so the, I mean, the, the gist of it is is um, there's all sorts of different types of amino acids. And some of those amino acids, if they are unbound, uh, so they're just available by themselves, those are actually, some of those are food products or food sources for some types of pests. Mm. Uh, not only insects, but also different, uh, like fungal pathogens, things like that. So a healthy plant will be producing all these amino acids, but it'll also be combining those into to polypeptides, more complex organic structures. Um, and then those are the materials that it uses to build the plant and, and uh, create uh, a crop and, and even mature the crop. So those, those are really important. 
But if you have these amino acids that are unbound, those actually can have potentially a vibration frequency that puts off uh, something that uh, the antenna of the insect is designed to pick up those frequencies is like, oh, hey, I hear there's food over there. So that's the basic theory uh, behind it. It gets a lot more complicated. It's something yeah. I'm very interested in. Uh, I think we will be in the future probably manipulating some of the different amino acids as well as catalysts uh, used for that protein synthesis process uh, as a way for us to manage and avoid some of these uh, pathogen problems. Great. Well, we always need other other tools and other other things to, to go for compared to when you got a problem, you usually uh, reach for some sort of fungicide or other thing that's going to wipe out some more, you know, the good guys too. Yeah, so. yeah that's stepping backwards. I mean, I, I'm all about the practicality of, you know, you, you should do what you need to do, but uh, if we've done all the right things up to that point, the chances of that level of intervention being required are hopefully significantly reduced. Well, I feel like we should take a second and talk about um, the fact that this is just the the basic part of the process, um, the microbuilder inoculant, uh, which is started as your vermicompost that you do in-house. Um, can you talk a little bit about the process of um, making sure the microbuilder liquid inoculant is, is the broadest spectrum it can possibly be and, and how you produce it? Sure, yeah, and it, it does kind of cut back to a core philosophy of, of ours and, and it affects our entire approach of, of our product line as well as how we, how we use it in, in agriculture, which is uh, most soils have a very compromised and impaired uh, biology. So if you would have a, a good healthy soil should have several hundred species, uh, you know, six or eight hundred very commonly. Uh, and populations of you know a billion in just one gram of soil, or even ten billion. If you look at, at soils that have been you know uh, aggressively or commercially farmed for any length of time, we find populations of say ten percent or less of what should be a healthy population. So maybe a couple dozen species instead of hundreds, uh, and you know hundreds of thousands of microbes per gram instead of billions. You know, so if you think about the, the interdependency of the biology in all the functions that it's supposed to do, if you have something that's only a tenth of a regular population and a tenth of the species that should be there, it's broken. And so that really drove our philosophy of maximum biological diversity because we're not just bringing a handful of species to the soil and say, oh, these are good guys. You know, go go do good things. This nature doesn't work that way. They're they're more, uh, you know, that's more of a communal uh, effort and interdependent system. So that's why with our uh, microbuilder, which is really our foundation product, uh, there's 20,000 species, and they're in super high populations. And what we're trying to do is repopulate the entire soil biology, not just that selected few. So we have not only all the beneficial functions that the microbes do for the plant represented, but it's a deep bench. You know, we have a dozen different species that do that function. Because not all species are gonna be successful in all situations, but because these have all been raised together, um, 
it's a it's a self-reinforcing community that lands and so that's one of the reasons why we put on the micro builder always uh, if you're going to put on the micro uh, the mycorrhizae superfood always put on the bio uh, micro builder with it because it reinforces that population so that's that's just a, a background of why uh, maximum biological diversity is so important to us yeah. now, now how we do it um, we're very conscious of the different food requirements of the different uh, types of biology. And so when we're looking at the food ration that, that we develop for the biology, we make sure that we cover all of the different types of food. So uh, a good, easy way to illustrate that would be that uh, microbes uh, are typically focused on using certain types of enzymes to break down particular types of proteins. So if you're talking about a, a protein ration, uh, you want to make sure you have several different types of proteins available so that no matter which combination of, of enzymes that a microbe is capable of producing, that there is a food source that the, it can actually use. That's one of the reasons why I think it's uh, so, so important to always put on microbes with food. Uh, if you don't provide them food, then the microbes that you're putting on are, are really vulnerable to whatever happens to be available in the soil. And if there's nothing in the soil that matches the profile of what those microbes are, you know, some of those microbes are capable of eating, it means they're not going to colonize. It's like forgetting all the food that goes on the barbecue when you go to have a party. <laughs> and it's like, you know, everybody's here, it's great, but we're really hungry and wish we can eat together you know and it would be much better time yeah so I, i'm sorry to simple over dramatically oversimplify it but well, as I, you're thinking that i'm thinking like well yeah that's just like when cousin eddie forgot the damn ice chest you know and we all show up at the at the event an hour later you know and we got nothing and we have to order pizzas so yeah well, they, they hope they come the the analogy that i think of is it's like dropping uh paratroopers you know in, oh, into man. enemy ter territory it's like Oh shoot, we forgot the food. <laughs> yeah, or the guns. You know, it's like, oh man, yeah, you got you got no MREs, so we're gonna fight for three hours and not be able to do anything. So wow. Yeah. So uh, so the way the other so we pay a lot of attention to the food rations. So, you know, not only the different forms of, of proteins, but different uh, carbohydrates. Uh, making sure that all the mineral uh, minerals that are required as building blocks for life, and of course uh, the balance and ratios between different inputs, like carb. You know, a lot of, we spend a lot of effort in thinking about carbon and nitrogen ratios because there's kind of a sweet spot in there um, that is balanced for what the the microbes actually use in the tissues of their body. Uh, so that's one. Then there's the environment that we provide as we're growing out the biology so we can actually manipulate the population uh, by making an intensely aerobic uh, environment. So what you're doing is you're, is you're selecting the biology that you have available for those that are capable of, of aerobic functions or fun doing their metabolism within uh, an oxygen environment. Now many of those microbes are also capable of, of functioning uh, in an anaerobic environment, so those ones that can do both are called facultative. Uh, and it can be a big part of the population, but what you've done by growing them out in, a, in an environment that you've actually selected the conditions is you've switched on that part of their metabolism. So they could do one or the other, but because as they've been grown out, they're all in an aerobic or highly oxygenated environment, meaning that their metabolism is 
is already active for that function. So, and those are the most beneficial sets of functions. So, not only have we we propagated the the right life, but we've activated the the best beneficial functions of that population. And then, in terms of diversity, we have spent a lot of effort in collecting cultures from around the world. So, tell me more about that. So, physically collecting soil from from beautiful regenerative farms, or how does um, that work? Yeah, most mostly pristine environments, ones that have have never been disturbed. Oh, okay. So, not some like you visit a. I, I don't know when you said that. I think of like you visited like a really amazing uh, regenerative farm. And they've been doing it for you know 100 years or something like that. And we take a soil sample, but you're talking about native soil, so just untouched native soil. Yes, and uh, I mean I would wouldn't be against you know, sourcing something from a you know great regenerative uh, farm, although we do genetic testing on the materials that we bring in before we add them to the to, to our uh, kind of CYA covering your butt there. Maybe yeah, you're just adding a bad population in. Exactly. Yeah, you really just don't need to. Uh, introduce any bad actors to it. And so that's why we're looking at kind of pristine environments. And I guess another thing that we think about a lot is that uh, all biology is everywhere all the time. Uh, really, okay. mostly what you see is differences in populations. And the reason why all biology is everywhere all the time is because biology is so incredibly mobile. So in a little dust particle, you could have a thousand, thousand microbes. And a dust devil comes up and picks up a bunch of dust. Some of it gets into the jet stream. Uh, once it's in the jet stream, it could be anywhere in the world in three days. So if you think about it, oh there's, there's kind of a, a constant rain of, you know, biology being spread all over the world. So, you know, something that could have been in uh, Asia, you know, a couple days ago can just be settling down as a dust particle here. It's constantly raining this biology all around us. Oh so, you know, there, there's some people that think a lot about is like, well, your microbes won't get along with my microbes because your, your microbes are not from around here. <laughs> it's like, well, well, actually, they've been, they've been dropping bombs all over yeah. each other everywhere and moving yeah. around. Yeah. Okay. So, so they're already here. Uh, they may not be doing the same functions. And, and, and biology is incredibly uh, resilient and functional. So you can find the same genus and species of a microbe down at a volcanic vent at the bottom of the ocean you find that same genus and species functioning out in an agricultural field. Now, what it's doing is entirely different, but it's still successful in adapting to it. So uh, microbes can always find a way. Mm. So when, when we're collecting you know, virgin samples around the world or, uh, or there will be certain specific uh, site conditions where there's maybe, you know, I know there's a, a oxidative or reductive uh, activity that, that microbes are doing because of, say, a, a, a geologic uh, concentration of, of a mineral. And it's like, ooh, you know, these guys are actively reducing, ox uh, reducing uh, ferrous or iron. It's like, well, that's a handy capability. Uh, so that's uh, called a cytophore function, and the microbes can do all sorts of stuff with cations, making it more available and delivering them to the plant. So I see these conditions as I'm traveling around. It's like, oh, here's a population I, I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. Um, and I've always uh, looked at it as like a, 
mad scientist lab whenever I visit your place and all the cool stuff you've got going on and, and how amazing it smells and stuff like that. And it's just, it's beautiful. Um, and I'm trying to think of, um, the other part of this thing that's really interesting is how strong and durable these microbes are. And that is because, uh, they're in the facultative state you're saying? Is that uh, correct? Uh, facultative refers to their respiration capability. Uh, okay. So in this case, they're they're in, in a stasis condition. Okay, stasis, okay. Yeah, so stasis is just kind of an overarching description of, of either no respiration or really, really reduced respiration. So there's uh, some microbes are, are capable of doing, uh, doing that and some are not. Uh, the ones that, that we focus on are the ones that are capable of doing that. Uh, that's why we have a shelf-stable product. If you have combinations of species that can't go uh, into dormancy like that, that means that you can't have a shelf-stable product. Okay. So we've, we've already selected the populations for that capability. There's like four different forms of, of stasis, so all the way from no respiration to kind of a min minimalist respiration. But the what they're doing is, uh, the reason why they do that is they're hunkering down and, until they find favorable conditions. So I think I oh. mentioned that microbes are survivors and they do not miss an opportunity. So when, when the conditions are not suitable for them, and there are several different uh, reasons why that might occur, they go, okay, fine, I'm just going to hunker down and I'll wait until things get better. And as soon as I get food and have a habitat that's suitable for me, I'm going to wake up and do my thing. And so uh, once they're in the stasis condition, like what we're, what we're marketing, uh, not only is it shelf stable, so you can keep the microbes on the shelf for over a year and you're not going to lose any of the population, but it also means that you can mix them with other things uh, in an application. So synthetic fertilizers and some, some herbicides and pesticides, I don't really encourage that a lot, but uh, that does happen in a commercial setting. Um, and because they're already kind of hunkered down, that they've you know, created a protective coating over themselves, they're not respiring, uh, they're, they're basically immune to, to extremes of uh, temperature, uh, osmotic pressure, pH, you know, caustic, uh, you know, phytotoxic uh, materials that if, if they were respiring would kill them. Yeah, okay. But seeing as they're all hunkered down, they, they can actually sit there in this solution, and, and we do tests of, of this, where it'll be a concentration of something that would be deadly to them if they're active, but in the stasis condition, we store them for a year or more uh, in this mix and can see that as soon as we make the, you know, dilute the material and or create uh, suitable conditions, they wake up and start doing their thing. So if you didn't, and this is kind of a, uh, obviously you'd want to use the superfood veg because you want, like we've been talking about the whole time, you want to give them food um, to, to, to go out and have fun. But I'm just thinking about it, if you use the micro builder by itself and it hit the soil, you would still see an effect because there'd probably still be some food there, something going on, and they would have a habitat and they would go crazy. Um, obviously, I would want to have some sort of food with them to, to benefit them and really make that happen. Um, yeah, you're, you're correct. Yeah, as soon as they uh, hit the soil, they're, they're going to find food and habitat. But if you feed them at the same time as you're applying them, you're giving them a huge, huge advantage. Yeah, because, loading up a backpack full of food. Yeah, and, and microbes, as I said, are opportunists. So they're, you know, once a meal is in front of them, they are not going to dawdle because that means they're going to miss out. Uh, 
Oh, so okay. it's it's very competitive, right? So there, uh, if you as soon as you feed the the microbes, within say fifteen minutes to a half an hour, more than half of the population is already woken up. I mean, it's very very quick. And so once they wake up, they will attach themselves to food. And uh, so as you're applying it, so either through the irrigation system or through the sprayer, or if you're just mixing it and drenching it, uh, when they land, they have food and habitat. And, and hopefully if, moisture. And, well, and, and yeah, because you've delivered it with, with water, with water then, and they have the right, uh, you know, adequate moisture to work with. And so they colonize much more efficiently. They use the food to reproduce. So even a modest amount of food can double the population of the microbes that were that you initially applied. And then as they consume that food, they're producing metabolites, which are directly beneficial things that the plant absorbs. So it's like, well, that's probably about the best bang for the buck you can do. You get better colonization and an immediate effect from the microbes on uh, on beneficially on the plant. And obviously, you could use this every single time you water the plant, I think it would just get to the point where maybe you're using too much food, right? That would could be the only problem, but I've never really seen any leaves burning or anything from using a lot of this stuff. Oh yeah, it, it would be very difficult to get to the point where you had put on so much food that you have any risk of burning tissues. Okay, great. I, I guess I wouldn't, you know, if you're putting it on with a bunch of other stuff, uh, I would be mindful of that and say a foliar application, but when you're talking about soil, it'd be really, really tough. Good. I guess uh, the only way, the only time I've actually seen somebody uh, burn themselves like that is they took the superfood mycorrhizae and uh, put a tablespoon dry just at the bottom of the hole when they were transplanting. Oh. And and so it was just in this concentrated, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's like, ooh, shot yourself in the foot a little bit there. But, you know, even if you just wetted that down and stirred it around and distributed it in, in the hole and just... It created a hot spot. Oh, yeah. You, exactly. know, you gotta be careful when you're, you're using dry amendments and creating hot spots. I think it's, um, you know, top dressing is very popular and that's a, that's a whole thing itself, but great point. Um, so I wanna talk about the fact of, um, this is the simple basic package that we have here because like you said it kind of kind of covers all for all kinds of plants but you've got a lot of different products more than we have the ability of having on our website and 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 showing here in the show um you know just to go through some of them here we've got now the normal micro builder in a 2.5 gallon jug and now you have the micro builder 5x mm -hmm. so that's something that we're going to be promoting here at grassroots is the 5x version so that just means you've de just taken more water out of the situation and concentrated the microbes times five correct so that's what the 5x means the plus uh, means that we've actually introduced some selected uh, species of biology so these are kind of inoculated into the culture and so these are benef you know, selected beneficial species that we're growing out with the rest of the population. And when I looked at that species list, it looked like it was more fungi. Um, yeah, it depends on which, there's more fungi in the 5X than, than there is in the, in the regular uh, microbuilder. It, both of them are, are well-balanced products. Yeah. There's just some additional species that we've added to the 5X Plus. Okay. And then we have the Metagro F, uh, so it's a fungal uh, dominant one, uh, 
that's that's interesting because it's it comes from a different set of biology. It's almost a, it's actually a different trophic level of of life in the soil. So it's kind of like earthworm castings, but.